Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to the U.S., and welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, thank you. It's good to be back, and thank you for the warm welcome with the snowstorm coming, the yeah. blizzard. Greece had no snow, huh? Uh, Greece had no snow. It was 60 and beautiful. Israel was beautiful every day. Wow. So, That's my mistake. I'm hanging out in the wrong part of the world. Yes, you have to find a good winter studio. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, or year-round studio. That includes weather like you described. Um, how about a word about the uh, the passing of Ronnie Greenwald? You are somebody who can attest to the difference that one person can make. There have been some tremendous tributes through social media and email and many other uh, forum um, uh, about his life and about his involvement. What could you tell us? Well, obviously, I knew Ronnie very well. He was a unique individual whose care and concern for every Jew and whose involvements uh, beyond the Jewish community as well, but certainly his work as, uh, as an educator, as somebody who, who reached out to young people in trouble, even taking them to in, into his own home, uh, the generations he raised uh, and influenced in, in the camps in, that he ran. Uh, he was truly a unique individual, and uh, he accomplished so much in, in his lifetime. And he didn't look for it uh, to get fanfare and recognition. Uh, sometimes a lot of his work was, uh, let's say, secret uh, in an earlier in earlier years. Uh, and 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 many lessons, of course, to be uh, learned from somebody like him. But I, I think one of them I want to point out is the the fearlessness to get involved. Right? Sometimes, and I'm sure you know this because you've been involved in so many different situations, high-profile ones and some nerve-wracking ones, uh, you need to have sometimes a little bit of fearlessness to, to get involved and to make your voice heard. Absolutely. And, you know, people shy away because something is controversial or you're likely to be criticized, taking on, you know, some of the issues of child abuse, things like that, where he was uh, very outspoken, correctly so, and um, didn't hesitate because of fear of uh, being criticized or, or ostracized. All right, so we remember Ronnie Greenwald, and uh, I'm sure that, uh, I mean, I read some of the tributes, and I know that the, the, the funeral, um, not just packed in both locations, but uh, some amazing tributes uh, given to him as well, uh, well-deserved. Um, Malcolm, the uh, we br- I, I bring this up almost every week, the, the random attacks that it seems the Israeli military and police are having trouble dealing with, and we've discussed just how impossible a situation it is, not to criticize, but you know what I mean. Uh, this Utniel stabbing, the murder of Daphne Meir, it really shocked and shook the Jewish world. And again, as we point out, it seems so many times, it seems like we're always losing our best. But then when you and I discuss this, we, we often conclude everybody seems to be the best, if you know what I mean. Yes, I do know what you mean. And I, I thought about that very thing when I first heard the news. And it, it, it did have a unique impact. Uh, one, because of the horrendous nature of the attack, she was painting the door frame and had her back to the street and, and was painting um, when she was attacked in front of her children. And she she tried to prevent him from entering and, and uh, harming them. The uh, and So the brutality of it, the nature of, of the victim, her, her incredible personal history, uh, uh, the adoption of two foster children in addition to her own children, 
the um, stories about her and her openness, her, her tremendous uh, activities as a nurse and in other realms, uh, I think touch people in a, in a special way, although every victim and every tragedy is terrible. But the, um, the, the inability, perhaps, as, as some might see it, to, to rein this in is, is not correct. They are reining it in. There are less attacks uh, than there were, and there are many more arrests than perhaps we read about, because when something's prevented, nobody sees it. You only see it when, when it actually happens. And they they just uh, thwarted a cell that was uh, set up by Jawad Nasrallah, uh, the son of Hassan Nasrallah, as you know, the head of the Hezbollah, and uh, they tracked down $5,000 that was sent paid to the, to the Palestinians to commit an attack, uh, and they are clearly trying to seduce people. Bibi's, uh, has sp- the prime minister, has spoken out very strongly this week about again about incitement, and there are some videos showing the PA's involvement, continued involvement in, in incitement. Uh, we see Hamas leaders again calling for for a holy war. Khania himself, the head of Hamas, uh, uh, did so. There are are many examples of the. Um, of the activities, the PA incitement that is uh, that is ongoing, was criticized by the United States this past week again. But we don't see any kind of real consequence. The problem is that there are limited steps you can take against the PA. We shut off almost all the money. We, you know, he is he doesn't care because he keeps uh, saying that he's better than any alternative, and you know that he'll quit or that the PA will collapse, which is one of the concerns that. You hear expressed more and more, and in fact, was a subject of discussion in the Israeli cabinet. So the 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 difficulty in dealing with a manifestation like this, where individuals incited by the online or by remarks of of a, of an imam or a leader or or by ISIS, uh, is is very hard. No, no government in the world has yet come up with a magic formula for dealing with it. the early on in the uh, you know once once this all started after Sukkot there was speculation about whether the uh, the perpetrators were specifically avoiding Judea and Samaria staying in the more metropolis uh, you know type of um, areas of Israel then it seems that they you know went ahead and incorporated those areas as well uh, the reality is that if we do believe, and you've pointed this out each time, if we do believe that this is not a a coordinated effort, that it's not you know under one umbrella with you know specific instructions, then, then all that is is sort of coincidence, right? And and wherever they were hitting early on is probably unrelated to wherever they're attacking now. So far, from all my discussions in last week in Israel, met with uh, all top leadership, uh, I, I, nobody has has tracked down that this any sort of coordination in most of the cases doesn't mean there aren't ties or people weren't influenced by you know some of the same incitement but it is not a centralized operation where you can go after a a key leader or or some sort of a framework when it's it's often spontaneous and you see the parents discussing it sometimes the parents are more surprised uh, when they find out it's their own kids some of them then praise them and some of them condemn them but the the um, you know this is a far more difficult uh, thing to attack. It's like attacking crime in a in a metropolitan area. They avoided, I think, from from the territories a not to bring back bring down the, the demolitions and not to and that it's easier to track them when when they attack um, 
but he, I think that they were trying to spread a terror to make life intolerable. This is the goal. And so you strike in the in cities and in various places that you show that you can hit Ranana, you can hit Haifa, you can hit any place. And and as Khamenei said in his book, you, you make life intolerable, the people get scared, and eventually they will run away. They will not run away, but it does have the impact of, of making people wary and walking on the streets and always looking over their shoulder. Did I read correctly that the Utniel murderer was 16 years old? That's what they uh, they said, and he he uh, he was known to the people in the community. Had done work in the, in the community. So, um, what's your what's your comment about that? I mean, if uh, if the incitement exactly is exactly what incitement does, yeah. it, it targets the most vulnerable in communities. It, it can reach out. You make somebody a hero. Somebody young people who why do we've seen it here in America where they in Columbine and other places where they seek revenge or they. You know, want to become famous, or they they are incited, or they you know are motivated by some demon inside themselves. But uh, it, too often here, this becomes uh, a ticket to to uh, stardom and to recognition, or they think they're doing it for the cause. And it's one of the reasons why um, people who criticize the demolition of the houses, I think, are wrong because if one understands the cultural context that when somebody does this, he doesn't care. He he wants to die. But his, if he knows his family is going to pay a price, if they're going to lose their house, obviously they're going to get money from the PA because they pay every, quote, martyr's uh, family. But if they know that there's going to be a price that their family will pay, they may be dissuaded from doing it. I wonder. I wonder if it's, an, if it's a um, deterrent or not. Oh, it's a, definitely a deterrent. Hmm. And even stricter action, arresting families and things. But the problem is that the international community then comes down on Israel and Israel has to do what it has to do, and it's it it uh, you know it's not an easy decision each time. They try to weigh it, but and they have to go through a court process in order to get permission to to de- demolish a house. But it in this setting, it is a very effective deterrent. And and knowing the cultural factors that are involved, you understand why it's uh, so significant in the limited number of steps that Israel can take. Oh, I don't even see criticism of Israel in those cases, but I guess I'm just not looking in the right places, right? I mean, we don't see oh, that. I get it all the time. You see it all the in time, I guess. And stuff and people, you know, who, who don't understand. They say, well, why do you punish uh, the family? Well, first of all, if it's a minor, I think the family should be held to account. And and we have to find out, do they, what what is the atmosphere in the house? Have they encouraged it? Did they in any way know Sometimes the families are truly innocent and had no involvement in it. In other cases, we find that there was an atmosphere that was conducive to it. Right. Um, The International Atomic Energy Agency declared Saturday that Iran had fulfilled requirements to limit its nuclear activities, a step that automatically lifted nuclear-related economic sanctions imposed by the U.N., E.U., and the U.S., the move freed Iran to sell much more oil and gain control of roughly $100 billion dollars an impounded money ending a prolonged isolation has driven the country into a deep economic malaise. The action signaled what diplomats have called Implementation Day, the most important phase so far of the historic nuclear agreement known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action that Iran reached with the major world powers on July the 14th of last year. Implementation Day, I assume, is the final step, right? There, there are no more steps now at this point, correct? Well, there are because there's extensive monitoring. In right, place. there are, but but yes, that is the day when 
the uh, process of liberating their funds as they would see it, or as we see it, you know, paying off the Iranians for so far uh, limited compliance. Uh, we see that that Iran, what they did with our sailors, and more than that, if people would have seen the video that he put out, humiliating them, talking about how they were crying, and and think about what the impact is in Iran when when you show those kind of films and they say this is the powerful United States and they. They um, act in this way, and, and the fact that we thank them in an obsequious way, I think, and the, uh, I'm glad this, the sailors were released and uh, not harmed and not kept for a long period, but, I mean, there's still a lot of unanswered questions now. There are reports that some money was transferred, and which, which is not yet confirmed and not, not uh, proven, but there, there's no change, fundamental change in Iran's behavior. You see the increased activities with Hezbollah. We see their continued activities, whether it's in the Gulf, whether it's around Israel, that they're trying to expand activities. Uh, this week, the the um, election screening, uh, February 26th, is the uh, national elections for both the Supreme Council, which is who will be responsible not only for approving legislation, but for selecting the next uh, Ayatollah, a supreme leader, mm. and also for the parliament. And there were 3,000 reformist candidates. 30 were approved. So 99% were knocked out of the of the box by the reformers, meaning that they cannot run. There is some appeal process, but it's, it's not likely to, to have much uh, impact. And when we look at what is the benefit, where these benefits go, we have to remember that the Iran Revolutionary Guard and the Khomeini and uh, and the government control about 45% together of the economy, the Basijis and others in- included. So they will, will be major uh, uh, beneficiaries. So you're not going to see um, uh, massive monies going to the people, but we're going to see money going into military, to their buying airplanes, uh, civilian aircraft as well, but signing huge deals with Russia, with others to to um, um, buy advanced jets and and other military equipment, and of course they're going to be funneling money around the world to their uh, activities. Um, and, w- and, and we've seen the statements that have have come out and emerged from Iran even uh, during negotiations, and now post uh, implementation days. You say, and that is the term that was in the agreement, which meant the day when they met the requirements by pouring concrete into the reactor, by reducing the number of centrifuges and exporting the uh, enriched uranium, which they did. Uh, but then they tell us that they're going to do more missile tests, and even though we put sanctions, some sanctions, uh, on Iranians and people involved in, in helping Iran's ballistic missile development, uh, but they just said we're going to do another test, and we don't care about the the international reaction. We don't, in defiance of all of the supposed restrictions, uh, the Congress is is moving ahead on the Iran Terror Finance Transparency Act. They want to see, have more oversight. They want to see uh, more uh, restrictions placed on them. And the administration has said that the relinquishing of of any of the uh, restrictions and any of the sanctions are only related to the nuclear program, not to their violation of human rights, not to their involvement in support of global terrorism. Those things uh, will all continue. And we met with um, the person responsible for their implementation, and they talked about how they're monitoring and that they have other sanctions ready to go. But you see that the Iranian involvement in the region, in the in Syria, for instance, and 
the uh, their support for uh, other groups, by the way, in Gaza, a new group Al Sabrin and others that they that you know are going to escalate violence ultimately. Um, th- these these are proof that that they haven't uh, made any real changes. They don't see it, any lessening of the executions inside Iran, and the um, uh, you see that the uh, IRGC and others are talking about their activities. The Lebanese papers uh, expose uh, some of the activities, some of the intentions and, and, and statements about uh, what they what their intentions are and what they're doing. So I don't expect that we're going to see any massive change in their behavior. The oil um, price drop is a bit of a shock for them because when they went out of business, they were producing 700,000 barrels. They're going to they're talking about now coming in with 500,000 barrels a day at a time when the barrel costs more than the oil in it. And, you know, they were, went out when it was $109 a barrel. Wow. Now they're coming in when it was, you know, it fell below what, 27. Now it went up a little bit. But for them, that influx of, of cash is just not, is not going to be there. But the, um, the tens of billions of $50 billion, and even though some of it will remain abroad and some of it will go to pay off some things, Will still give them enough money to uh, escalate their their various nefarious activities. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at ninety one point nine in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and on the NSN app, of course. Uh, when the, the the purchases you mentioned. Purchases, uh, how quickly are those going to happen? That's a very good question. And and I don't think American companies, by the way, are going to rush in to do business because there's still a lot of question marks and still restrictions on the banking system. Well, I'm assuming it's Russia, right, that that you're most concerned about. Well, the Russians, they all have weapons, but there are a lot of other countries that are running in to do business. French delegations, British delegations, Italians, others have been there literally since the day not of implementation, but the day the agreement was signed, and even before that, they were preparing. They were, they had drawn up all the documents and waited to sign it as soon as it became legal to do so. But a lot of the preliminary work. I don't think, though, that that American companies and others, even some international companies, are going to be so willing to jump into it. They still have limited access to to the American banking system. Uh, we will we will have to see what happens. Um, in terms of uh, the delivery on these purchases, Russia is very hungry for money. They were the major oil exporter in the world, not Saudi Arabia, and their economy is in free fall generally, and they've made huge investments abroad. Iran has been sponsoring their invest- their involvement in Syria, but you see Iran- uh, Russia today has this big uh, uh, demonstration of their power in the Mediterranean by bringing in a destroyer and bringing from the Pacific one of their missile carriers and doing demonstrations that bring reporters on board, uh, which I think is a message that they intend their presence there in Latakia and Syria and the defense of Assad to be permanent. And they have flown 5,700 missions since September when they began you know, their bombing runs. Uh, this is hugely expensive, aside from the fact that uh, if you think of that number of bombings, that perhaps their achievement has been... Uh, uh, somewhat limited. So Iran is going to try to exploit this in any way that it can. 
I think the election is going to be very critical to, as an indication of uh, future direction. And if the West is smart, we will work with the groups within the country. We will um, try to, to uh, uh, give them some sense of assurance and that the West will be with them in this way. And now it, the, the regime can say, look, we, we outsmarted the West. We ran this deal. We got the, the sanctions off. And the expectations in Iran are very high, and I don't believe can be met. So that could lead to further uh, alienation and, and frustration amongst the population because they hear of tens of billions of dollars, but they ain't going to see it after they, the government and the IRGC and everybody takes their cut. <laughs> and uh, we'll see whether the people still want to see them spending all this money in Syria and Iraq and elsewhere. It will. I think the, the general acceptance of Iran is, to me, as worrisome as the release of money, because this gives them greater legitimacy in their efforts, and the U.S. seems to be, to, to, to be in agreement that they can play this aggressive role in Iraq, where they're essentially taking over, in Syria, in, in Lebanon. And, uh, of course, there's support for terrorism on three sides of Israel. Tell me about this prisoner release from this past uh, weekend, and... Uh I'm I'm just having trouble understanding if one of the prisoners was not released because of his Jewish identity, or is that just something that's being conjectured, you know, in social media? No, we do not know. Robert Levinson, who was a former FBI and perhaps CIA uh, employee, uh, who was there uh, not uh, on a spying mission, but he was arrested uh, years ago and the last time I think the family heard from him was three years ago in a video where he said that he wasn't feeling well and uh, you know it was very difficult. Uh, but there's been no word about him, and now there's speculation that Iran doesn't have him, or that unfortunately he may have, uh, God forbid, passed away or whatever. But he, he original reports the first day, the reports were that he was one of the five. Uh-huh. Then it became clear that he was not one of those who, who was released and. While the administration says they are working on it, and um, perhaps there there should not have been a deal until we we got back. Um, yeah, and if all this where Levinson is, and if all this is a goodwill gesture, then why wouldn't his why wouldn't accurate information about where he is or what's happened to him, you know, also be part of a goodwill gesture? Well, they're probably saying you know they don't know or that they haven't got the information, which is something that is often the case. Uh, where they don't want the truth to come out, right. and there are cases where they really don't know. Yeah, uh, we've talked about the uh, arms race or the uh, you know the race to nuclear weapons that will really escalate once this uh, once implementation day has arrived, and we know that it has, or has arrived. Saudi Arabia has already made it clear, right, that is that they're going to keep up with whatever Iran does in terms of nuclear weapons. They are, and uh, they're more likely to purchase it than to go through the whole process of development. They can buy it from Pakistan. You can buy it. A lot of stuff uh, is, is available online. But for, for Saudi Arabia right now, the conflict with Iran is, is escalating and intensifying. It's manifest in Yemen. It's manifest in Syria. But this is essentially the Sunni-Shiite battle being, being played out. These are the two key leaders, Saudi Arabia, the leader of the Sunnis, and the, uh, the Shiites being led by Iran. And now with the additional funding, we know that Iran is building a new uh, naval port, in, in Qatar, we know that the French and British are, uh, and that Saudi Arabia is beefing up its military. It's tied down somewhat with the war in Yemen, which should have been over a long time ago. Um, 
the uh, but Iran is is supporting the Houthis, and obviously it, it, Saudi Arabia is directly involved and has been bombing and engaged in militarily there for uh, now for a long time. Uh, so Saudi Arabia is is uh, very angry over the deal. They. They see Iran as the major threat, and it's one of the reasons why they warmed up to Israel a little bit, um, and so have others. The, uh, the um, Saudis alone can't can't handle this, obviously, and they are, they have internal problems with the ascension of the new king and his son being a very aggressive young uh, guy. I, I don't know what the, what the internal divisions are. They, they criticize him for his handling of the war in Yemen. They criticize him for other things, uh, and most of all for the internal mani- uh, machinations about who will succeed the current king, uh, and knocking some of the people who are in line uh, out of the, out of the line of succession. But you, you know, w- w- we see the price that is being paid across uh, the region and the Middle East. The turmoil points to the fact that there's one island of stability. Guess where that is? Yeah, well, I guess that's Israel. Uh, and you all and look, Saudi Arabia seems to be the poster child for for reaction to Iran. Uh, who else is in that category? You know, countries that feel like Bahrain, or, or, uh, Well, they have a coalition now, right? Yeah, you mentioned uh, this last some week. Downgraded their relations with Iran, some that broke relations. But Bahrain is one. Qatar, uh, um, Kuwait, um, the UAE um, is very strong on that. Uh, Sudan has joined them, even though they were an Iranian. Uh, Allied, they've switched now. Um, so, but the key are the Gulf, uh, the Gulf states, right. except for Qatar. Because you think that really everybody involved, including Iraq, would be watching Iran very closely and would and would you know understand the significance and importance of of building up their own arsenal as Iran does. Yeah, well, y- y- when you talk about Iraq, Iraq is not really a state today. It's more it's closer to Syria than it is to a uh, unified state functioning as such. And the Iranians have cleverly, under with U.S. permission, and under the guise of you know fighting ISIS or whatever, really established themselves. And and um, I'm afraid that that presence is permanent. And the government kowtows to to Iran, so they boast of the fact that they control Baghdad, Damascus, uh, Beirut, and and Sanaa, four Arab capitals. Right. Uh, did you see that there's another dispute over uh, buildings purchased in Hebron uh, that the Jewish community says were purchased legally? And now, of course, the defense minister has evacuated the buildings. And uh, just another one of these situations is probably going to go on for years. Well, this is a complicated uh, case. This is everything because you know that to purchase uh, property, for the Jews to purchase property in Hebron and other areas, requires a whole series of steps. It's not enough just to make a legal purchase. You have to get permission you have to get you have to pass certain uh, uh, government um, requirements uh, and in the case this case I think 200 people were removed from the houses and the government acted against it led by defense minister Yalom who has strongly defended his action and saying look if you violate the law there's going to be a consequence on either side um, one of the counter arguments is that the Arabs are building a lot of illegal housing. There is some demolition, but it's it's limited. On the other hand, there's there's more construction. You see the American criticism of Israel for allowing uh, new settlement and allowing uh, you know more uh, of the land to be um, expropriated uh, for construction. And here you have a particular case, and because they 
said that the uh, requirements were not met, that they had to, that he had to act. It, it'll cause a government crisis, I have no doubt. Right. And already some ministers are, are attacking uh, the Alom and Defense Ministry for taking the action that they did. Uh, it's very sensitive, and, it, and, you know, the international community then jumps on each of these cases and, and says, you see that they're just trying to change the faces, eliminates the two-state solution, this, all the things that we heard over the last uh, week from Western officials of all kinds. Yeah. Uh, did you see that uh, Donald Trump has called for the embassy to be moved to Jerusalem? I wonder if I want the Trump name on it, though. The men, the reason I mention it is because some people thought that he'd be the only Republican candidate who'd be able to avoid you know, taking that position publicly, uh, because basically he says and does what he wants, as compared to you know what, what seems like with other candidates who do things in a more calculated manner. And nonetheless, he, even he's hopped on what has become a real Republican bandwagon issue. Yeah, so while they, everybody promises that candidates on all sides... Uh, including President Obama, including Jimmy Carter, including Clinton, including Bush and Bush. Everybody promises it to us uh, when they don't have to deliver on it. And then, of course, there's always complications or reasons why the embassy can't be moved to West Jerusalem. We're not talking about East Jerusalem. We're talking about West Jerusalem. And um, uh, so I, I don't put too much hope. I mean, we all want to hear people say it and reaffirm it. Today, the Chinese leader talked about the creation of a Palestinian state with um, East Jerusalem as its capital, uh, reaffirmed that you know they've increased their trade with Israel, but took a, a stand uh, uh, sympathetic to the creation of a, of a Palestinian state. So we shouldn't take for granted that the world accepts the, the unity of Jerusalem or the, um, the need for our embassy and other embassies to be located there where the seat of government is. Right. Finally, look at this article that I found in the Jerusalem Post. Pundits would have been dismissed as clueless had they predicted a decade ago that in a critical EU discussion in the Middle East, Greece and Cyprus would emerge as the countries that would, in the words of U.S. President Barack Obama, quote, have Israel's back. Greece and Cyprus, two countries that for decades were arguably the most pro-Palestinian countries in Europe, two countries that could be counted on regularly to bash Israel. They were all of a sudden going to come to Israel's diplomatic aid? No way. Yet that's exactly what happened this week when Greece and Cyprus led a charge of about half a dozen Eastern and Southern European states to block the passage of language and EU resolution in the Middle East peace process that would have enshrined the idea of differentiation of the territories from Israel, a move that could have triggered a slew of measures that would make the recent labeling of settlement products seem tame by comparison. So your delegation obviously did some very good work over the last few days. Of course, we take full credit for it. <laughs> um, but remember, it, Greece went through an election, and everybody thought that the move from a right-wing to a left-wing government would be the end of the relationship. Israel's strategic death today is for its air force is Greece. They do bombing runs. They do tests, uh, you know, and strategies against the SAM um, air defense system, and they do a lot of joint exercises, including with Cyprus, and they see this, and we see it as the core of an Eastern Mediterranean alliance that we take Israel out of the Middle East, and other countries like Egypt could join Jordan, and, uh, and maybe one day Turkey, uh, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, others who are interested, because I've spoken to, to a lot of the governments about it, and, uh, you know, with economic trade, tourism with uh, regard to, to security, Israel's high-tech, what they could do in, in water reclamation, uh, harvest, uh, post-harvest uh, rec reclamation, so many other areas where they could 
they would have a mutuality of interest. And, and next week, the heads of the three countries, Israel, Cyprus, and Greece, are coming together for a major summit. But also, you know, the Indian foreign minister said that they, this week was in Israel and said that we t- attached the highest level importance to the relationship uh, with Israel, and uh, there is a tremendous amount of trade and, and exchanges going on. Uh, Greece and Cyprus uh, did do it. We're not, not may not happen in every case, but certainly the, with them, the, they see this as a, a relationship of the highest importance, and, the, and it is being manifest in, in various ways. And, and by the way, you hear it also from the Arab countries, Increasingly, where they are, are at times uh, quoted, and leaders are, are quoted as uh, as saying the right things and taking the right positions. They obviously don't always do it uh, publicly. It's, it's uh, we understand the, the restrictions, but a lot of stuff is going on quietly. There's a lot of uh, there are a lot of developments which could bode well, and Israel's integration into the region. And there's almost no Arab country that doesn't have some sort of communication. Uh, with Israel today, so the what you're seeing on, in terms of Cyprus and Greece, um, and hopefully there'll be an improvement in the relationship with Turkey. Though I think it'll take a period of time. We hope to visit there and to see firsthand what's uh, what's happening with the President's conference uh, in, in February. Um, we have to try and pursue it for Israel. Those who talk about Israel being isolated are just wrong. And Dory Gold gave a speech about it this week, the Director General of Foreign Ministry, and cited examples of, of how Israel today with Japan, China, uh, what I mentioned about India, are all reaching out to Israel today and, and building stronger and uh, ties with delegations coming there constantly. So people shouldn't get too depressed. And, and note that Israel has a new oil discovery. So <laughs> we have another field coming online which um, uh, I think will have 8.9 trillion cubic feet of, of gas. So this is, um, you know, these are terrific developments when you, you think about their long-term implications. Yeah, well, that's that's a good way to wrap up with some good news, huh? Always, uh, Always good. And Jihad John was killed, you know, right. <laughs> in a bombing, so that's good news. There is some good news out there. Uh, all right, Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak Have again next job. week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Fridays here at JM in the AM.